Okay, we're going to go to Exodus, uh, uh, and we're going to start in chapter 13. I told you we was going to bypass the Passover. We've talked about that and, and uh, worked in those areas. Uh, I hope you should know a good bit about that. If not, I'll give you a refresher course come Easter and stuff. Uh, do you know what tomorrow and Friday is? It's a Jewish holiday. comes the 49th and 50th day after the Passover. What happened? Huh? Who? Bob, was that you? Pentecost. 50th day. Um, we are, uh, I was looking and getting some dates for some various holidays, and uh, I knew it came pretty close, and sure enough, Beginning tonight, the Jews actually start celebrating it this evening at, at dark. It will go through Friday. Um, um, excuse me. It, yeah, it goes through Friday at dark uh, when it begins. It's a two-day festival. But uh, Pentecost literally was a, a day set across. Penta means five, so uh, it's the 50 days after the Passover was the second major festival that uh, the Israelites were to to follow through with. And so uh, something else happened on the day of Pentecost, uh, something the day after Jesus had died. What? The Holy Spirit came upon, came rushing into. And so the Passover, Jesus was crucified in the... The second major feast, Pentecost, Holy Spirit came. The third major Jewish holiday would be the Feast of Tabernacles, which this coming year begins September 29th through October 6th. That's when I told you we need to be watching because some things are going to be going on uh, to keep your eye on with Israel. Uh, and I, I believe that with all my heart. May be wrong, but I believe that this is a year some major things may be happening uh, there this fall. And um, it's going to be interesting just in the next few weeks if uh, the United States doesn't get this debt ceiling took care of, that it could spin the whole world into an economic collapse. And we've already talked about in the latter days, last part of the tribulation is economic collapse. We may be heading that away uh, and, and could see some things going on. But anyway, we're going to look in chapter 13, verse 1, and look at uh, the consecration of the Jewish firstborn children and cattle. Now, what had just happened with the firstborn of Egypt? Huh? The, the, the last plague took them. Now God is setting aside the firstborn uh, of the children of Israel uh, to be devoted to Him. Oh my gosh, Melinda. Your dad was sad. I said, all right. If you was an Egyptian, all y'all were dead. If you were an Israelite, 
you would be set apart or sanctified in giving to the Lord. And that's in verse 2. He says, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. What does it mean to sanctify? That would be the question here. To sanctify. Huh? Dedicated or set apart. Uh, committed to. Uh, people that dedicate their children. Uh, they're, uh, they're, but it, it, God's saying, I, all these will be committed to me in, in doing that. And uh, they would belong to Him. They're special uh, to, to Him. It's not that God wouldn't use others, but these would be very special. And, um, and, and I, if you jump on over into Numbers, I, I did some and looking at them. There was a time that the firstborn could be redeemed. Uh, and, and God actually does this in Numbers 3, where all the firstborn were numbered. It was 20, 22,237. And he told Moses to set aside that many Levites in their place because the tribe of Levi would be the ones who would to serve him in the temple and stuff. But right now, what he's doing is reminding them that these firstborn that were protected from the plague are now set aside because they're special in God's eyes because God has redeemed them. God has protected those. So all of you would have been protected because of your faith in Christ or your faith in obedience to God. And so they were to, to be a reminder that your obedience saved this child's life. And not only a child, but, I mean, if you're the firstborn in, of an adult, and you're older in your generation, you're, you would have been... Because it didn't matter whether you're a child or 90-year-old man. If you was a 90-year-old man, you were the firstborn of your father's household, you would have died in the same situation because you were the firstborn. And that was the plague there that the, Israel, that the Egyptians suffered, but the Israelites had been uh, brought through. And so this whole idea is to try to help the, the, the people grasp this idea of the blessings of God. Now, you've been sanctified by what? That's it. Boy, I tell you, I've got a smart bunch. The blood of Christ. So you've been set apart because you were once a sinner. Now you're sanctified by your faith in Christ and His blood. Not by your works. You don't do something to be sanctified. You are sanctified because of what God did. And you've put your faith in that and you've received that. So you too have been set apart and made holy and special to God. And because of that, you will bear through life with the knowledge of knowing where you're going to be uh, when Christ comes back or you die. Verse 3, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand, 
the Lord brought you out from uh, uh, this place, and nothing leaven shall be eaten. What is leaven? Huh? The yeast. <coughs> right, right, Tony? The yeast. <coughs> that's a that's a kitchen joke. Leaven represents what? Sin. So when we enter into the Passover and there would be no leaven found in the house, it means there could be no yeast or leavened bread. All that had to be destroyed and taken out. And, um, and so those had to be removed. And, and it talks about, and God brought you out with a powerful hand and he did that by literally <clears throat> causing uh, Pharaoh to basically be crushed. Uh, his whole authority and this whole idea that he was a god was wiped away because he couldn't, he was affected just like everybody else. And his power, his reign was. Ruined. Basically, everything about the kingdom was taken away from him because there was nothing he could do to fight God. And so God brought them out with a powerful hand. And then uh, on this day uh, in the month of Abib, uh, you were about to go forth. If you look in the Jewish calendar, it doesn't use the word Abib. It is... Uh, boy, I had that this morning. Y'all should have got me this morning. It begins with an A, but I forget exactly what it is. But it's referred to something. But it's the first month of the Jewish calendar and the Jewish holiday. Uh, the Passover always comes on the 14th day of the first month. And then it's a seven-day feast after that. Uh, and, and so um, this year it was April the 6th, and the way the Jewish calendar is uh, laid out. And it, it changes, but... Uh, so there, this day is going to be set aside and remembered uh, for what it represents. But it also carries all the way on over into the New Testament. That's why I say uh, this is not just history. This is God in action and what He would do all the way through the, the new beginning that would come when Christ was sacrificed there on the, on the cross. So the day that Jesus died is a day for you to remember because that's when your salvation was bought and paid for. You may not have received it that day, but that was the day it was bought and paid for when Jesus Christ died on that cross and He became the Passover Lamb and, and uh, suffered and died for you and I. All right, uh, verse 5, And it shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Where's this land at? All right, is Israel or Palestine? It's the promised land that God had brought Abraham through, told him I was going to give it. It was the land that uh, Jacob had been living in when Joseph brought him out from there and down to Egypt during this period of drought. Now they were to go back and God's going to lead them there. 
But now all these other people were already there. And I'm going to tell you about most of them, especially the Canaanite. The Canaanites were very brutal people. They, they practiced a lot of human sacrifices. That was part of their worship. And, and so they're going into a, a land that's filled with milk and honey, but it's also a land filled with paganism and cruelty and um, uh, wickedness. And they would have to fight to remove that and, and, and pull that stuff out of there or they would be infected by it. Did they do all that they were supposed to do? Okay. Let me move that into the New Testament. When you get saved, God begins to talk to you about removing sin from your life. He means get it all out. We, we pray for people with cancer. You know how cancer starts? With one little old cell. And it just sits there sometimes. Years and years may not ever be activated. But then something triggers it. Something allows it to begin to grow. Something can open it. It can be a surgery. It can be a, a sickness or a weakness. Uh, it, it may be nothing more than a cold but something triggers it and it begins to get active in your life and then it can utterly begin to destroy you and eat away at you. Folks, that's exactly what sin does. Unconfessed sin, unforgiving sin, sin that we try to hide. We may keep it hidden. We may think it's not, not there. We may not even be practicing it, but we've not given it totally to God. And then one day it springs up and it begins to do it. And then it can run unchecked and, and just consume your life. Um, a, lot of, a lot of sin in public figures' life, they keep hidden for a long time. And then all of a sudden it springs forth. Well, where did it begin? It started right here in their mind. Tempting, thinking about it, and struggling it. Jimmy Carter was asked one time if he'd ever committed adultery on his wife. He said, a lot of times in my mind. Now, they, the reporters didn't like that. They wanted to hear. But he knew that's because of his Christian faith. He knew that if he thought it, it was the same thing as acting upon it. And that was a dangerous thing. And so he was learning to guard himself and protect himself because that's where it began. It begins as just a thought or a temptation or uh, an idea. And then it makes itself known later on and it, it springs forth. And that's why we've got to always be on our guard because it can begin to consume your life. And, and that's exactly why God's listing these people and telling them that, that I'm going to give you this land, but you're going to have to get rid of all these people. You see, there was a, a person one time, she, was, she despised the Old Testament. She said, I, I wouldn't follow the God of the Bible because he's a wicked God. He tells them to go and destroy all these nations. But why would God do that? He's sending a group of people that he wants to be holy and separated, and he doesn't want them to be influenced. So he wanted them, he knew that they would struggle if they stayed. He knew that 
to, to, for this nation to truly be all that he desired for it to be, that they would have to utterly destroy all these people from this land. And he was going to give them victory over that. But they had to go and fight the battle. That's why I'm telling you, in your life today, your addiction to those things in your life, you've got victory. You just got to fight it and claim it and live it because God wants you to be victorious in that situation. But you've got to begin to work at that in your life. And, and they do it. And if you ever surrender to it or, or let something deceive you, it'll pull you away. Verse 6. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread uh, shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be uh, seen among you, nor shall you. So he's laying out everything about the Passover week that they would honor and represent uh, every, from that point on. Verse 8, he said, You shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall uh, serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Therefore you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from time to time. And then I'm going to stop right there because I was taught when I got saved that the Lord's Supper was just for church members. And then I was taught that it was for any Christians could do it. But you didn't let children do it, and you didn't let others do it. And so for a long time I practiced that in part of the ordinance and telling unless you are a born-again believer, you couldn't partake uh, of the Passover meal. But then I began to study more and more, and I began to read this, that... What God did, anybody that chose to be there was to partake of the Passover meal. The children, why? God wanted them to go through it so they could teach them what each element stood for. They wanted them to ask questions. And when I began to study that and think about that, I thought, well, that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we should allow the children to partake in it. But we don't want them to take it unknowingly. We want to begin to teach them what it stands for. What does the, the wine stand for or the grape juice? What does the bread stand for? That's one reason I, I don't, we don't do the little crackers. It's too easy. Uh, you can't tear a cracker. They need to understand the tearing of it and the shredding of the the body, and so I, I want them to understand those, that aspect of that. I want you to understand it, because if you don't, it just becomes a ritual we do over and over. But the Passover meal has significant meaning in teaching, and God wanted it to be a, a, an ordinance throughout time so we could begin to understand what's going on. I'm trying to get to a verse, and I'm, somebody showed it to me the other day, and I didn't realize where they were at until I, I was reading it, but it talks about, uh, okay, verse 16 is where I want to go. So it's your service a sign on your hand as the phylacteries on your forehead. For you, uh, with a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. 
and uh, phylacteries are a box, and, and they're called tilonite, I believe is the way I, and anyway, there's another Hebrew word for that. These are the boxes that are, are worn by Jews. Uh, they're made out of leather from, from cattle or clean animals. It has to be a sheep or a goat or uh, a cow because it has to come from a kosher animal. But it's made out of leather, and it'd be a little box. And it's got the one on the arm has two straps. It has a short strap. The box they would put on the left arm because if you're right-handed, they put it on the weaker arm because of the scripture where it said God brought you out with a, with a strong hand. So the box goes on there. It began with three wraps around the upper part of the body. Then the other piece of leather is longer. It's wrapped seven times around there. And inside that box is scripture that's written. And then the other part is a box put between the forehead and uh, on, between the eyes and wrapped around the head with scripture within it. And it is also commanded to put scripture within the doorpost of their doors. So these were a sign of, of God throughout the week. Normally they would only do it during the morning prayer time. And there were, there were three signs that the Hebrews look at for reference to God, and they wanted to do two of them every day. One of them was this, uh, there, Caleb is showing it to you right there. You see a man with on his forehead, and you see it on his left arm right there. And he, do you see the box? Boy, technology is so great when you got somebody knows what they're doing. Um, but he's in his morning prayer time. And, and that's what uh, he's doing. And within that would be the Scripture. Uh, so one of the first signs uh, Sunday through uh, uh, Friday would be a male circumcision is one sign that they're different from the rest of the world. The other one is this uh, the the phylacteries. It's not a word I pronounce every day, so I'm struggling a little bit with it. But uh, these boxes, so that in their prayer time, they were committing to the Lord and being obedient to Him. On the Sabbath day, which began Friday at dusk and went to Saturday at dusk, that was it, the third sign, so you didn't have to wear them on that day. That day's called the Sagat. Uh, and uh, that's the Sabbath. So you had your circumcision, and then you had the Sabbath, so you weren't required to do this. But the rest of the time, at least uh, part of that day, you would do that with the Scripture is, is to, to apply it to your mind and then to your arm, which is to do the work. and be, Don't be a dog tick. Do what the Word said. Obedience. It's what it's all about. I mean, that whole sermon... Is, is don't don't just ride. Get out there and do what God's telling you to do. Don't don't sit here and just eat up all this knowledge. You use it. I'd rather you have a cup full of knowledge and use every bit of it than a bucket full of knowledge and it just sitting there. 
it just doesn't make sense. You, you know, we need to be applying God's Word to our life, and then you're going to grow in your faith. So this is why what this Scripture is talking about. But the interesting part is how Satan always tries to copy what God does. So where's the mark of the beast going to be? In the exact same places God's Word is commanded to be. You see, he always seeks to copy what God does. But he does it in a very deceitful way. And that's why he's not afraid of religion, folks. Religion doesn't bother him at all. He just tries to change your faith to being religious and not set aside by God. That's why he didn't have any problem with churches or religious movement. But what he's going to try to take away is your faith in Christ. He's going to try to take away who Jesus Christ is. He's going to try to take away this whole idea that you're a sinful being and in need of redemption. He's going to try to take away the virgin birth. He's going to try to take away from who Jesus is. He doesn't mind you going to church seven days a week. He just doesn't want you to know the truth. So he tries to deceive you. That's why there's so many false, but they've believed the lie instead of the truth. That's why they say, well, we're all trying to get to heaven, and, and us and the Muslims are all trying to get to heaven. Well, you're tr they're trying to get to the place you are. They're just going about it the wrong way. You know, if I want to go to Texarkana, and I head to, to Corpus, I can want to go to Texarkana all I want, but I'm heading for Corpus. And I can go south, and I can go all the way south till I'm going north, and then I can get back up on the North Pole, and I'm still heading for Corpus. I'm never going to make it to Texarkana. So if, if you're trying to get to God and you're going the wrong way, you've missed it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So I want you to always be on your guard. When you hear something that sounds real good, ask them this question. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? I believe Jesus was a good man. Well, you're right. But a good man can't save you. I believe he was a prophet of God. You're right. He's a prophet of God. A prophet can't save you. What are they taking away? Jesus is what? The only begotten Son, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. Is he a prophet? Yeah. Was he a teacher? Yes. Was he a good man? Yes. Was he a great man? Yes. Was he sinful? No. See, they're going to try to make him out as a real good person. And it's okay to be like him, but just don't put your faith in him. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and said it's finished, he wasn't talking about his life. He's talking about the work of God was finished. The work of salvation was finished. Because when he died there at the cross, everything had been done for you and I to be saved. There was nothing else left to do. And that's why Satan tries to copy it. That's why he's trying to copy this very thing about the phylacteries that in the end times, 
he's going to try to convince you to take a mark, which very well may be some kind of religious writing. It may be a number. I I, I really just don't see it as a 666, folks. I, I, I see it. In, I, I just don't believe it's going to be that plain to the world. It's going to imitate God's Word in such a way that it's going to have knowledge within it. It could be a computer chip. It could be something. But it's going to be something to try to imitate God, but it's going to take away from the truth of God's Word. So everything God's teaching us right here is found over here. Can you see that? It's not, it's not just over here. This is the concordance, so it's really not where I'm going. But y'all know where I'm going in the book of Revelation, right there. So everything here is here. The picture of the Exodus is the picture of your redemption in the New Testament. The picture of the plagues is a picture of the seventh, seven-year tribulation in some way, form, or fashion, of God's judgment, God's wrath, yet God's deliverance. The splitting of the Red Sea. We may not split the Red Sea, but God's going to deliver you from the same situation. The leading uh, uh, by fire by night and cloud by day is God's Holy Spirit leading you every day. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. All those things are the fulfillment of Exodus. They're not separate. And that's what I want you to get a hold of. When you read this, think of it in New Testament. God's telling you exactly what He's going to do in the end of times as much as He was in the beginning. 3,300 years before Jesus came, He's working this work. Does that make any sense? I don't ever want you to, to read the, uh, this wonderful book called the Old Testament and just try to get some historical facts. You're going to find the character of God. You're going to find God's redemption. You're going to find exactly what God's going to do. The book of Revelation is real hard to understand. Most of us will never know all of it until it, it, it reveals itself. But what helps me understand it, because I'm a simple-minded person, is I, I see what God's doing over here in Exodus. So I know He's got this. And I don't have to know it. Moses didn't know how he was going to get across the Red Sea until he got time to go across it. He didn't know how he was going to stop the Egyptians coming after him until he got to the other side. He had to go through the Red Sea before he could find out how God's going to protect him. Because he's getting over there on the other side. He looks back and guess who's still coming. Then God said, Moses, raise up your staff. The same staff that split it, it's going to be the same staff that's going to bring it back together. And we'll take care of this problem. So God is working constantly. And that's why when you read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, it's all the same thing. So, 
All right, we'll move on next week and a little bit more into this. We'll just see what God does. Uh, if y'all get fed up with me, just tell me you want something different. But I hope that we grasp some New Testament truths and application for your life today. I, that's what I want. I want you to understand the Old Testament applies to you in your daily life today. And it'll help grow your faith. And it'll strengthen your faith. And you're going to know more about God than you ever thought. That's my job. Okay. Uh, what time are you going to be here Sunday? Early. Early. 8, 8.15, 8.30, 9 o'clock. You show up and we'll have something for you to do. Uh, and stuff. So anyway. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you placed me in such a wonderful place with so many wonderful people. But I pray, Father, that we will fill every empty chair, every space within the buildings that we can possibly get somebody. I want them, Father. I want people to come to know you. I want this to be a lighthouse. I want it to be a place of safety. I want it to be a, a, a place of protection for all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody's got a real good radio. And I don't think...